Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome on to a Sunday night edition of the Dunked On Basketball NBA podcast. A lot to get to. We're going to do the first half of 15 and 60, but we really are only going to do half of it because we have to hit on this news that happened over the weekend with DeMarcus Cousins, Andre Robertson, Mike Conley, all going to be out for the rest of the year. So we'll get to that momentarily. We're sponsored today by Hims. Go to forhims.com slash capspace. And for just $5, you can get a trial month of everything that you need to keep your hair. We'll start with DeMarcus, though. Torn Achilles, he missed a free throw at the end of that game as they were actually ahead against Houston ran after it and as he tried to save the ball in bounds reached back with that left foot to try to push off and it was pretty clear immediately what had happened and this is an injury Danny that not only will be felt this year as far as the playoff race with the Pelicans who had actually won seven of eight but also maybe throughout the entire landscape of the NBA for years to come yeah I mean Achilles injuries are still one of the ones that that really scare me and having it for a big guy I don't know why that that necessarily brings extra concern for me I guess it's because the weight and the movement and everything else like that and Boogie's explosion was a part of what makes him so special special and so you have those elements combined with the pelicans competing for the playoffs you know still still trying to make it in a field terrible for cousins because this would have been his first playoff appearance and now it will not be his first playoff appearance whether or not new orleans still makes it in but also because he is an unrestricted free agent after this year that was you know the the designated veteran extension basically the reluctance there was what part of what got him traded in the first place that has obviously off the table now that he got traded so he will be a free agent this summer unless he's signs an extension between now and then which seems unlikely but possible and that opens a lot of things up because instead of it just being oh well who's going to offer him the max becomes what teams are interested where does he fall in the pecking order how does new orleans play this it's it's incredibly complicated yeah it does and obviously the future of anthony davis is something that there's been speculation on now he will have two years left on his deal and then a a player option as well that he will almost certainly opt out of so the pels basically have two years left and now this is another year where yeah they might make the playoffs but you have to imagine that that's not necessarily something that davis is satisfied with and you know so if they squeak in and we'll talk about whether we think they'll still make it or not in a second they're gonna be first round fodder he's gonna have to play center a lot which he doesn't like to and they just don't have the talent realistically to compete with some of these teams there's always at least maybe some kind of a path of them winning a first round series if they got you know up to like the six seed or the five seed just because davis and cousins could go crazy now that really seems to be lost to them and new orleans totally impacted by the luxury tax even if they can bring cousins back and they're gonna to have again the issue as they did with drew holiday of well cousins now might not be 
the player that he has been he might not be worthy of a max contract for five years 175 million you wonder whether he's going to be worth that even had he not suffered this injury so maybe he leaves in free agency another team wants him uh his contract probably ends up being bad and then even if you get him to come back the history has been that guys who suffer achilles tendon tears generally do not recover the same there's only probably two or three guys in nba history that you could look at especially toward after 25 who came back the same way and you know one of those was dominique wilkins somehow when he was like in his early 30s came back the same way after his torn achilles but everyone else really that comes to mind right now has been if not a shell of what they were still not quite the same player and even if they get cousins back they don't really have a way to add to the team because of task concerns and what looked to already be a very difficult situation for new orleans in terms of getting into at least being you know a team competing for home court advantage in the west now really looks impossible and that impacted nature of their cap applies even if cousins goes somewhere else let's say somebody else pays him more money they don't clear a cap space because of that they just clear the gap between the cap and the luxury tax so they're not improved they don't really have they would be able to use the full mid-level exception but that's really about it and moving a little bit more to this year one of the the challenges for new orleans is as you said anthony davis doesn't necessarily like playing center that's part of the reason why they got to marcus cousins and they also don't really have enough perimeter players well, to make and that they don't work have any consistent. other good centers either who else right. is gonna play center now i mean like well, they're basically I, they weren't playing any centers at all other than davis and cousins so anytime davis is off the floor whether he's playing center and then if he wants to play power forward like they're gonna play ashik now I mean, he's gonna be horrendous so ajinza is out for the year they got a disabled player exception for him i mean they got nothing now one silver lining there is i think new orleans now becomes the most desired destination for any centers that get bought out they don't really have the money to uh, the flexibility under the cap to, yeah, to i mean to like trade in for... terms of playing time maybe yeah. but but not in terms of money because they do right they are hard capped and they're taxed out yeah sure in terms of opportunity and so and that will be a challenge because at teams like the celtics depending on who they want to spend their disabled player exception on the sixers still have their their bunch of teams that actually still have their mid-level or something like that available who could actually be looking for upgrades so those players will have to make priority but the but the option of playing time potentially a starting spot on a playoff team could be very intriguing especially to somebody who has not had this year go the way that they wanted and it's unfortunate that Nerlens Noel isn't going to be back really healthy by the time of the trade deadline that could be a buyout thing but I mean New Orleans they need to do the best they can during this time they have played Omer Ashik during this game on, on Sunday afternoon against the the Clippers I the part I saw him in was not exactly the most inspiring but <laughs> they 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 have a lot of space to upgrade at that point and there will be centers on the buyout market just because that is the clear position where there's a surplus and where there's not the demand for those guys yep. to necessarily be trade targets but the quality between like greg monroe and some of the other guys lower on the list is is the difference is significant and if they're willing to play davis at center too and start him at center solomon hill there's hope that he could be back shortly after the all-star break dante cunningham is someone who they could play at the four play him a, a few more minutes uh rondo is gonna have to play more now too and they had really been terrible in lineups with rondo on the floor and killing it in lineups with with holiday at point guard but now without those two bigs it becomes a lot more difficult to play those laps with holiday at point guard and you've got each one more and darius miller at the two and three like those guys are pretty undersized they don't provide a, a ton of, of athleticism uh to play around davis and so you know, you're putting an enormous burden on him defensively and on the boards now and so you know i think where they are right now at 27 and 21 this is a big game against the clippers today that's going on as we're recording this I still think they 
have a decent chance of making it in i mean who would replace them it would be it would be the clippers right if they if they fall right. off but they're they, they've got a three-game lead on the clippers right now and utah so at this point utah is 21 and 28 i think the last time i did this the jazz had to play at a 50 win pace to get to 500 and i still think that's a fair calibrator for what's good's gonna take to get in the playoffs so i still think this is nine teams for eight spots and this injury changes the order of those nine teams for eight spots but i don't think it changes the fundamental structure yeah and we'll see what happens with the clippers gallo is supposed to maybe come back for for them pretty soon they've lost steam a little bit after they'd been on fire since uh, blake griffin's return but i mean for me i know what i would be doing right now if i were the new orleans pelicans i would trade anthony davis right now at this very moment now i i this is me doing what's best for the franchise this isn't me as their gm knowing that if we don't make the playoffs i probably get fired you know it's not that uh but i mean if you look at just like what they could get right now for ad and then if they wanted to trade cousins his bird rights as well might be worth you know that might be worth a first round pick from somebody as well uh i mean you could really really restock the cupboard with this team you know by trading ad now when he's really has a ton of time left you could actually have the ability to trade him somewhere where he didn't necessarily want to go because he has enough time left right like if you are limited to only places where he wants to go which is where you get to as the clock starts ticking closer to the end of that contract he's still you know two and a half years left now i mean think of just the um, absolute treasure trove that like the celtics would be willing to give up to get ad right now you know you could really get a lot of a lot of good stuff and that will continue to dwindle you could get something for cousins too as opposed to him very likely being a negative asset on his next contract but of course that's not gonna be the thinking in a place like new orleans davis is still 24 he'll turn 25 during the regular season and a conversation that needs to happen between Dell Demp's ownership and Davis is just, you're not going to get a definitive answer probably, but how he's feeling about a prospective designated veteran extension, because A, nobody's turned one down yet. He he would be under no obligation to make a commitment. I mean, that's still a long way off to even make that decision. But that would be the one consideration is just that by the end of that time, maybe you could be competitive. I mean, he would still be in his, you know, he, he'd still be in his close to his prime, actually, like, you know, as he transitions into that designated veteran contract should he be willing to sign it but they have such impacted books for the next couple years and it's hard to get off of any of that stuff in a way that would be productive that it is a challenge and so i would listen absolutely i mean i've been very skeptical of that before just because you can't replace anthony davis but the celtics just have such a ridiculous amount of assets right now i mean the lay kings pick all these other forwards and he would be a a game changer for them i mean i the idea of an mvp caliber talent he wouldn't he could be a key defender you could use him at both depending on who had to be involved in the trade you could use him at both big man positions you could have him work on fitting him in offensively over the course of this year but focus more on next year when they're getting gordon hayward back think about what that core would be and so yeah you definitely listen and you have those conversations because i think you always try to do that but i don't think it's going to happen either just because that is such an amazingly bitter pill to swallow not only for ownership for dell demps but for the fan base as well well and you also have to realize that they don't have a realistic path to get any better than they are right now to even get to the point of being like a 50 win team right like maybe if cousins came back and you re-signed him and he was the exact same player that he was this year and you and you're able to just find somebody in free agency who can give you just a little bit more than they've gotten this year maybe they could sniff 50 wins next year but you know they're not going to be anywhere close to championship contention they're not going to be first round even home field advantage home court advantage type of team and so the opportunity cost is you know one more year of davis and then he's only got one more 
year left on the contract you know that's when you offer him the designated veteran extension and if he yeah maybe he signs it and maybe you keep him around for a little bit longer but even then you know you're still they are just so capped out and so taxed out after so many years of short-term thinking that you know certainly they're not going to start thinking long-term and realize that they can't move past the the short term now and that they're just stuck where they are but i mean that that's what i would be doing i I, maybe and maybe it wouldn't work but i would certainly be listening absolutely surreptitiously as possible but i would be listening right now on anthony davis if i were them and just accepting the reality that you know and i wouldn't have traded him right now before this cousin's injury but now after this after the inability really to make any kind of noise in the playoffs this year and then the likelihood that cousins will just never be the same i mean as long as you had those two big stars you could always feel like okay maybe we can just luck into the right combination around these guys but the chances of cousins getting back to where he was and the fact that he's going to have to likely be signed to a really ugly contract this offseason that's enough for me to, to say all right you know our chances of truly succeeding with this group are so low that i would rather take you know because all you're really getting with ad now is probably one more year of being pretty decent i would rather forfeit that year and just try to get a lot of young pieces and actually if you got some young pieces at least you're exciting and interesting and maybe you it wouldn't take you that long to get back to where you are right now frankly if you were able to get you know a Jalen Braun and a Jason Tatum and you know a future pick from the Celtics something along those lines all right but that's probably enough uh, on that uh, but still truly the NBA much as we rag on Cousins he is a singular talent and the NBA certainly a much less interesting place uh, until he's back uh, in uniform again so we'll get to the rest of the news here momentarily but first this from hymns the male health arena is one where you just can't get good information there's all these like bullshit herbal supplements and you know maybe they work but you have no way of determining that really there's no like actual studies uh and if you want to actually go to a doctor that's always quite prohibitively expensive both in terms of cost and in terms of the amount of time as well just going to a doctor's office i mean so many doctors just to even like get a new prescription like every year they're like oh i can't renew that you have to come in it's once a year and for me that led to me really loathing going to the doctor's office but now with hymns you have a one-stop shop for actual doctors actual real medical prescription medications backed by science for hair loss skincare sexual wellness all the things that really have vexed men for a long time and that have always been tough to find real answers for you've got that at hymns now there's no waiting room no doctor's visits you can save hours at forhims.com you answer a few quick questions and a doctor will review your case and prescribe you what you need and send it directly to your door so the way to get started with hymns my listeners get a free well not quite free five dollars basically free just the cost of shipping essentially a, a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair just five dollars right now while supplies last you can see their website for full details this would cost a lot of money if you went to the doctor and a lot of time if you went to a pharmacy but at forhymns.com slash capspace easy to remember because we talk about capspace all the time in the program forhims.com slash capspace get that trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for five dollars today once again that's forhims.com slash capspace so i guess the next place to go oddly enough because i don't think he's as good a player as mike conley but i think the robertson injury actually matters a lot more for what's going on this year oklahoma city certainly has much greater stakes for this season i mean they're they've been playing very well recently and robertson has of course been a part of that and the robertson story is in certain ways similar to cousins where this is a more impactful loss because of the situation that his team is in and that is the lack of suitable replacements and the lack of financial flexibility to 
add a replacement that is not currently on the team yeah lack of financial flexibility and lack of resources as well in terms of first round picks available in the future due to the fact they cannot trade a pick really until 2022 most likely due to the trades for Ennis Cantor and the trade for Jeremy Grant and I think you hit on the biggest thing so far Robertson a lot of it has been made of the stats that they're starting five or, or they're starting for outside of Robertson the defensive rating when he's on versus off I think it's about 10 points per 100 better when he's on and it's atrocious when he's off but a lot of that is just the lack of a viable backup you've got Ferguson Abrines Josh Hustis I mean those are your three options really backing him up and those guys are going to, have to play Ferguson is going to start today but Billy Donovan indicated that's not necessarily going to be permanent for the rest of the year there's going to be a competition there but they really just it's all replacement level dudes uh, behind Robertson and that more than the fact that he's a particularly singular talent is what made that such a devastating loss for them there are with the talents that the Thunder have there are ways that they can succeed but as you said the the problem of not really having a replacement and it the, having Robertson and George together really did buttress their defense I mean they were able to defend even with Mello on the floor and he we've talked about his deficiencies on that end because you have those two just swarming guys and he allowed Paul George when necessary to f- freelance a little bit more which I think has helped him because he can do a really nice job in passing lanes and being able to you know give them different times on the other team's best player it made it made life a lot easier in many ways on both of them and while Robertson was and is and probably will be an imperfect player there was serious value in that and so they can go in a lot of different directions in terms of adding somebody who is better than the players that they already have the problem is supply is extremely low for those guys demand is extremely high and their own constraints make that even harder so they owe i mean presti and ownership owe it to themselves i mean with all the money they've already committed you don't want to do the sunk cost fallacy here but this is your best shot at it paul george is going to be a free agent you have all these other things going there you might might as well give it your best shot and your best shot is not terrence ferguson alex abrinas and the other guys that they have as options at this other spot yeah i thought the mock trade deadline that we did if you have haven't listened to that yet by the way what are you doing uh but that's a lot more interesting than this episode because we only get to do it once a year but the deal that we had there for justin holiday where they traded singular and two second rounders although the second of those is a boston top 55 protected pick that seemed like maybe and they probably would actually have to give up a slightly larger price for that i would guess in real life um but you know that's the type of guy that i think they need to get if they wanted to go with a first then maybe there are some other potential upgrades but not guys who don't cost a lot of money and so you're yeah you're giving up the first but then they also would want to trade back bad salary that would include singler and that a trade like that is probably going to increase their tax bill which is already about 20 million so far this year that you're hope they're probably hoping that they could lower that tax bill uh for this season at least and so uh, we'll see what they can find to upgrade you know west matthews is certainly someone that they would talk about courtney lee i'm sure would be very available a guy who's played well this season maybe like a one of the grizzlies guys maybe they could look at tyreek evans although needing the ball in his hands it's not a, as good of a fit i mean th- there are options out there who can help them because you know when you have replacement level guys anyone who would be better than them it can help you but they are gonna have to pay yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge for them to to really prioritize it and we talked i think that was before, when we were previewing them about how sam presti always makes a move at the deadline that certainly make this injury certainly makes that a lot more likely they're going to do something but what they prioritize what they're willing to sacrifice will be a huge question and because they're just there are guys that are that are available but there aren't that many and so those conversations will be certainly contentious as, as would be 
expected. Anything else on this or ready to move on to Conley? Yeah, Conley, Chris Wallace, the GM, broke the news in an email to season ticket holders that Conley will have season-ending heel surgery dealing with some continued issues. Remember, he had the Achilles issue before, and Conley had attempted to return, was reportedly playing three-on-three. Unclear whether, you know, he could have come back or tried to if they were more in the thick of things, but right now the Grizz are 17-31, and but they're pretty close in the mix with a lot of these other teams to where if especially if Conley were to come back they probably would increase their record enough to that their pick would probably end up you know in the seven to ten range but now without Conley you imagine that uh Marcus Gasol may start having his minutes reduced pretty soon uh the tank has been revved up and the Grizz are clearly gunning now for a top five pick which is exactly what they should be doing they need a talent infusion they can get it that way and also by clearing this which we expected them to go in this direction anyway way to get whatever assets they can for their expiring contracts i mean that's definitely tyreek evans possibly james ennis who is making his his way back from a calf strain probably not brandon wright but maybe you know brandon wright could also be an option theoretically in new orleans and you have all those guys all those coming together the teams at the bottom I, i've said before that one of the definitive elements of it for this season the final season with ta- the it's structured the same way for tanking is who commits first and we're getting an early sign that it might be Memphis and that would be very good for them because the better your odds of getting this true difference maker the more options you're going to have yeah and I mean if they really wanted to persist along the path of staying relevant they could even try to trade that pick for veteran help as well depending on where it lands not what I would necessarily suggest but uh, something that they could potentially consider to at least get back into the playoff mix in the west and who knows whether this is just you know a real injury and and he could have toughed it out or whether it's just hey get it get a head start here we'll see you next year um but certainly obviously it had a ton of trouble coming back from that injury back when it was relevant he had not played since early november uh, also in grizz news james ennis has missed his last five games hopeful to return this week from a right calf strain and then jamichael green injured his ankle on saturday he's projected to be out for a couple weeks and chandler parsons uh, really no reason to bring him back at this point although he's listed as day to day uh it's been a lot of days that he's been listed day to day we'll put it that way the other injury news that makes sense to talk about right now is that the Clippers guys and so Austin Rivers is still at least two weeks away still in a walking boot and as you mentioned Gallinari might be coming back soon he's he I believe he's not playing today but he but he'll be back um, hopefully this coming week that'll be and that'd be exciting the Clippers could really use him even though they've gotten far more than I ever expected from their two-way guys on the on the perimeter I mean that's been a a, just an absolute boon for them all right let's do a a little 15 and 60 here we'll get to the rest of the east injuries just in, in line with these teams but why don't we start with that fantastic boston golden state game which we did the twitter nba show for yesterday and talk about it from a boston perspective i thought that once again they did one of the best jobs that we've seen in the steve kerr era of defending this golden state team i thought they did a very good job at certain moments especially with the at the beginning of the fourth quarter some of that was also just the warriors missing shots they've made a lot this year i mean they've been 
a monstrous mid-range team. But overall, the, the quality of the looks that the Warriors were getting was worse than against almost everybody else. And they, at certain moments, Steph Curry most notably, made a bunch of those, but they did that. And then also, I mean, Kyrie Irving was spectacular of his own right offensively, just a ridiculous performance, including that first quarter. But his final line, 37 points on 13 of 18 from the field, five of six from three, six of eight from the line. And it, it was just that kind of performance. And the concern that I have for the Celtics in the immediate, and this is not a long-term thing, this is actually where I started at the end of the Twitter NBA show, is I'm excited for what this team is going to look like once they get Gordon Hayward back, because one of the ways that the Warriors were able to get some advantages was when they forced guys other than Kyrie Irving to beat them, most notably in the third quarter. Yeah, Kyrie was on fire, 19 points in the first quarter, and then about midway through the second, once Kyrie returned and was still on fire, he hit a really long three over KD. They decided any pick and rolls, they were just going to start bringing a second guy to the ball and forcing Kyrie to pass it and they got some nice looks for Al Horford out of that um but I thought that just in general here, I mean, Kyrie's not going to go 13 of 18 from the field and five of six from three every game that he plays against the Warriors. And they were 14 to 28 from three overall, also had 11 offensive rebounds, which is not something that this team does incredibly well. And with that being the case, you know, and yeah, as we said, it'd be different with Hayward back, but we we're going to assume that he's not going to return this year, at least for, as we talk about it right now, for a potential finals matchup. I thought that they're over their head offensively, uh, but that they, did a really good job defensively in that 109 that the Warriors scored a lot of that was buoyed by the fact that they had to intentionally foul Steph Curry four times in the last minute of the game and so the Warriors got really a boost to their offensive efficiency there I mean they were holding the Warriors pretty close to a point per possession throughout most of the game and even that was accomplished in large part due to big time heroics from Curry who dropped 49 although again he did have those eight intentional fouled free throws late so it's really kind of more like a 41 point game that he had had and curry they ran a ton of pick and rolls our, our ben dole charted that and they're getting great stuff out of that and but i thought boston did a pretty good job when they got out of his hands of making Draymond green beat them making andre Iguodala beat them and then i also thought something that i haven't really heard talked about much in this game that marcus morris did a really nice job guarding kevin durant uh and mark morris has been relatively effective against lebron too and that's a matchup that the celtics can feel pretty good about they're going to need somebody because jalen brown I think will be a, a much better defender in a couple of years, but I still don't love the way that he really defends Durant when they go to that matchup and Tatum isn't ready for that yet either. Those guys will be, as I said, better in time. But Morris, yeah, I thought he did a nice job and I hadn't focused on that as a point in the game, but I mean, Durant, it was not his most assertive offensive game. I think he only took three shots in the restricted area and got to the free throw line a couple of times, but I think I think a couple of those where he got fouled shooting at least jump shots, maybe one of them was a three. Yeah, and no, that's correct. And so that's a little bit different. That's not being as assertive there and the Celtics did give up a series of offensive rebounds in the third quarter I think Draymond had three just in that and that is a concern for me there so early in the season they were their defense was really being buoyed I mean they were playing great defense but it was they were also just one of the best defensive rebounding teams in the league and I thought that was a little bit weird they're down to 13th now which I think is closer to where I where I expected maybe even still a little bit better but having Bain they're playing Baines more than I expected at the start of the year and that helps because he's been a solid 
solid rim protector for them and of course playing more size makes you a better defensive rebounding team i thought the other interesting thing was with marcus smart out because he punched a picture apparently in la last wednesday he's got a laceration on his hand for a couple of weeks they closed the game with terry rozier rozier was negative 19 he and shane larkin played a, a combined 40 minutes and 13 points on only four out of 14 for those guys it did not go too well offensively with them on the floor and they showed to finish the rim didn't shoot it incredibly well um and neither of those guys are great passers either they really it was a struggle too to just find enough guys I mean, daniel tice was okay hit hit a three late clock but you know not a guy who's really a high-end rotation player for the playoffs semi ogile we got asked about this on the tour nba show he's just you know 32 percent from three or 32 percent overall right now 29 percent from three and a comically low usage rate i think he can really contribute on defense especially in isolation like he stoned david west in the post one time in pretty impressive fashion but just not aggressive enough offensively had a couple of ugly looking drives when he did try to put it on the floor so yeah they, they need some more guys especially with smart out and then smart brings his own limitations offensively and which he exacerbates by shooting too much so it was interesting to see here who are the guys on this team who looked like they're ready to really like be in this high level of of a game and who wasn't and i think they still need another couple of those guys gordon hayward could be one maybe smart could be another and jason tatum maybe could play a little bit better Uh, but they uh have a ways to go i think especially in terms of offense especially with Kyrie off the floor where they really really struggle to put the ball in the basket i think in january before this game and it didn't exactly help their numbers they had like an 84 offensive rating for january without Kyrie on the floor and they had only played in nine games before this one so it is a little bit smaller because the london trip so they you know so that means individual games mean more but that is a big problem for them and shane larkin had one beautiful righty finish but other than that had trouble trouble really creating separation and then i was surprised that 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 the Warriors didn't attack him more with Sean Livingston. He got a couple of shots, but not as many as I expected. And those two guys just can't create enough offense right now. And so you could try to stagger Horford in there. They did that a little bit, but I don't think that's enough. And so it's another another thing to consider in terms of where they're going. And while Marcus Smart, you know, he can help in certain situations like that, A, his value as a defender is going to be when the other team's better offensive players are on the floor, which is often not when Kyrie is off. That's just the way it works. And just having somebody who can, they have a lot of guys who can convert in the right circumstance but not necessarily create and that creation is an imperative because in the playoffs teams are not going to play guys who are just absolute sieves out there i don't think we're going to see much nick young in a theoretical nba finals between these two teams no i i agree and sorry if there's if you heard a little microphone jostling that's the cat jumping up on my lap she's uh we'll experiment hopefully i don't have to kick her off uh last thing too al horford especially in the first quarter was awesome he blocked a kd three-pointer and he blocked a clay thompson jumper i mean that's pretty impressive work from him i thought that he's just such an important part of what they're doing especially defensively and then they struggle just as much offensively when he goes off the floor his pick and pop can be the antidote to that Kyrie trapping on the pick and roll which and i thought Kyrie played really well too like he played one of the better defensive games that i've seen uh you know he continued to compete he wasn't just dying on screens and i thought even late you know it was the Kyrie show but he wasn't taking selfish shots i thought he took good shots he was either getting to the rim uh through a couple of nice passes that they weren't able to convert on so i thought he played one of the best games i've ever seen him play not only scoring uh but just in terms of his overall floor game as well um and did we say their fundamentals i don't suppose we ever did i don't think we ever did i'll I'll get them now so they're 35 and 15 
2 and 5 since the last 15 and 60, 4th in net rating, 16th in offense, and still 1st in defense. Yeah, and it's really their offense. They had lost four straight prior to a nice win against the Clippers last Wednesday, and then Al Horford made the comment that he thought they got better even though they lost that Golden State game, and I would agree with that. But uh, the offense is really what has been letting them down to a large degree here. Uh, Let's talk uh, Atlanta Hawks, 14 and 35, near mirror image of the best in conference Boston Celtics, although they have surged to four and six since the last 15 and 60. Still a negative 6.0 net rating, which is 28th in the NBA, and they are just a run-of-the-mill bad team, 25th ranked offense, 26th ranked defense. I hoped that they were going to be better defensively this year because they do have a lot of talent. Some of that is also just guys missing time. Deadman, I thought, would be a centerpiece of that, and he's just missed a bunch of the year, but they've had a lot of trouble on the defensive glass, and they don't necessarily play true traditional bigs all the time but they're not playing small necessarily and they're playing john call you know john collins's role is bounced around a little bit and that that exacerbates some of their problems because then you get into second shot defense too yeah i mean they played two traditional bigs a, a lot of the time but john collins is probably a little better offensive rebounder than he is a defensive rebounder ursan Ilyasova is used to be a great rebounder but is kind of past his prime at this point mike muscala never like a hefty guy on the the defensive glass deadman not a great box out guy is more of a kind of go get it in the air type of guy but still disappointing a lot of it too is just they don't really have great rebounders on the perimeter for example torian prince has been a disappointing rebounder i would say uh and you know not as athletic a guy and then schroeder bellinelli Kent Bazemore, not really great defensive rebounders. Bellinelli in particular is really awful. 4.7% total rebound rate uh, for Bellinelli. And if they could clean things up on the defensive glass, they could be a lot better. It's not something that you expected necessarily to be a weakness for them coming in. But of course, they don't want to get a a lot better at this point. In fact, they are right now in range with the the Orlando Magic. They could get past for worse in the East, which is a problem, especially with the Magic playing as poorly as they have so far. Another thing that we wanted to see as early as last year was more of Torian Prince at the four that lineup has not been effective at all so far this year they've gotten crushed on the defensive glass there as you might expect it in 480 possessions so that's close to eh, maybe 250 minutes or so there is as bad as they are normally on the defensive glass they allow 33.5 percent offensive rebounds with Prince at the four and then even with Dwayne Dedman at the five because obviously John Collins is not really equipped to be a defensive center with like no other big next to him uh but even with De- deadman at the five they have not been able to stop people either and another problem too with playing prince at the four is they don't really have another guy who's like the size of a normal three man to play next to him that's the hope is that you can get that type of versatility but instead now you've got to basically play Bazemore at the three and, and he's pretty undersized there yes yeah, so you have all these other things i'm more a little bit more hopeful that eventually if they can get that other guy that it can work but you also the player that might make sense there would be somebody similar to Prince, so maybe it is Prince at the three, that other guy at the four, whoever the heck that ends up being. Something else that we should probably discuss with them, uh, John Collins, still, I mean, I would say he's still overall having having a good year, but he does just an, an incredible amount of his damage, not just in the paint, in the restricted area where he has, I think he, he has more shots in the restricted area, almost twice as many as the rest of the court combined in his last 15 games. Yeah, well, that's good. What's bad is that his overall field goal percentage is only 50 
51% in the last and when you consider that change he had been finishing extremely well but only a little under 60% at the rim in those last 15 games and his jump shooting has been interesting because taking shots you know from mid-range he's only one out of 10 in his last 15 games but he actually is five out of 10 on corner threes 0 for three on above the break threes but it looks like at least the corner three is something that they are more comfortable with him taking I think that could be an important part of his evolution to where he doesn't only have to be rolling to the basket every time if he can be comfortable from that range so still having a nice season has not been as ridiculously efficient though as he had been and then in other news Malcolm Delaney is now back in the rotation at backup point guard has been for a few games now uh, Isaiah Taylor who had been the apple of our eye early has really dropped off of late over his last 20 games shooting well under 40 percent and one of 13 on three pointers and basically Delaney has now replaced him which is kind of too bad but Delaney also is a guy maybe who could have some trade value and as an expiring contract and for Taylor at the rim only shooting 50 percent although he's getting there a fair amount and then floater range he's only three out of 17 so when you're three out of 17 on floaters and one out of 13 on threes you're probably not gonna be shooting a very good percentage and that's why he's shooting basically 33 percent over his last 20 games the last thing I wanted to talk about we, we don't have to hit on this too much is Ben Falk had a piece on Dennis Schroeder's defense and Schroeder has had some moments in the playoffs more as an off-ball guy sh- shadowing around Bradley Beal and some of those matchups that they've had against the Wizards in the last couple of years but he was a guy who's supposed to be this dynamo you know the new Rondo defensively uh with his long arms and incredible quickness he was supposed to be pressuring the ball he was supposed to and when he was drafted and that really just has not been the case at all and of particular note for Ben was just that he really is terrible closing out giving multiple efforts defensively closing out on his man and the stats really back that up I won't look at these a lot unless it's something that the film shows first, but defensively, Synergy will track spot-ups, right? When you're guarding a guy, what does he shoot on spot-ups? And that's not always going to necessarily be your fault, right? You're helping on those plays. And then you know, if somebody gets a spot-up, that's not necessarily your fault if you help. But good players can affect that by closing out really hard, uh, by stunting and then recovering to their man and just not allowing a lot of those shots. But in particular for him, he's allowing 1.3 three five points per possession on spot ups and whether that's not closing out whether it's closing out late and guys blowing by him whatever it is the that number which is certainly prone to some fluctuation because it's just a guy shooting what's a, a lot of times gonna be an open shot but if you're giving up a ton of them and they're shooting a great percentage that's a big problem and so you know he's basically like right at the bottom of the league to be giving up 1.35 points per spot up possession and point guards having trouble closing out is a problem because those players are especially as we get into the realm where shooting is becoming more of a requirement for point guards than it has been at certain elements in the past, is that there are a couple different ways they can attack you. Those are guys that are good enough to get the dribble two dribble two dribbles in a good decision take the shot themselves like all those sorts of things and so and it's like i mean i always struggle with really unless they're really good at digging balls out point guards oftentimes they overhelp because they're just not providing as much impact when they're when they're going into the lane and they're conceding these shots that are often straight passes you know like they can see it out of the corner and just kind of diagonal maybe a diagonal to the right side or something like that i'm thinking of a drive so let's talk bulls and bucks here we watched that game earlier 
earlier today ended up being quite the blowout in favor of the block bucks they really had nearly a 20 point lead from the middle of the second quarter on and of course this is the first time i've really locked in on them since the firing of jason kidd and the first thing that i saw against admittedly a bulls team that was limited missing chris dunn was the defense looked much much better it's amazing what not creating by overworking and by kind of over scheming can do against the team that doesn't have a lot of ways to kill you i mean they basically just were not conceding as many openings and the bulls were not able to take advantage of what was created and so i thought they the bulls generally were not getting good shots overall i mean of course helped by their lack of of shot creation other than that crazy run of denzel valentine floaters was that in the first quarter or second quarter i'm trying to remember when that was uh first quarter he was four of four on floaters in the first quarter including and then i think he had another one in the second quarter i mean he was like throwing up these like one foot floaters going sideways from the free throw line and just making everything but the bucks really their rim protection was outstanding early on and we saw john henson generally laying back in the pick and roll their icing side pick and rolls with henson involved and then the bulls tried to go into henson at the rim and i think they missed their first five shots at the rim that were contested by henson they were three of eight at the rim in the first half so not getting a lot of shots at the rim they gave up a few threes but not you know a ton of like open corner threes the way they had been before in the more aggressive scheme i also thought it was interesting though that when thon maker was on the floor they had maker defending much more out in the perimeter uh, on those pick and rolls i guess feeling that his mobility is a little bit better than henson's who you know can be better protecting the room i guess is the thinking there i also thought the bucks offense after a little bit of a rough stretch early where they weren't getting much separation and Giannis settled for a couple of deep twos they were just getting better looks they were being more aggressive the ball was moving well and they also were able to to run because Malcolm Brogdon was unavailable in this game they ran something closer to a rotation that you and I would both like to see from them yeah sorry I don't know where you're trying to leave me on that one well the uh, <laughs> no that Tony Snell started I mean that I think that was oh yes yes yeah that that part of it too yeah when you said rotation I guess that that threw me off um yeah I, I like that a little bit more of just a guy uh, there's facing in this game was excellent they were moving the ball quickly they even had some play more stuff where chris middleton was outside the three-point line instead of trying to attack a one-on-one when they don't really have other guys who can space that much of those snell can do that and they shot really well. i think there were 10 out of 16 on threes in the first half as they built a, a 19 point lead and really never looked back at, at that point uh they had a nice like pick and pop between Giannis and middleton to get middleton a, a three out, out of a set play sideline on a bounce they looked very very good they had a, a ton of assists as well in the first half so liked what i saw from them one thing that i did not like though is i know Giannis had 41 points coming back against brooklyn the other day and they're using him now a little differently using him in three stints rather than two at least in the first quarter uh but he does not look to me and did you agree with me on this that he did not look particularly explosive i would agree with you there was one nice highlight but that was more of a length dunk to me more than a burst dunk that he had yeah, that that dunk actually was like the number one exhibit on like how he didn't look that explosive and yeah he wasn't creating as much i thought in, in transition he he did some stuff but it wasn't as as consistently dominant there and yeah before we forget he I missed want, a bunch of layups at yeah, the rim when he, he did was contested too yeah he did i mean he was 11 and 19 from the field and it was surprising some of the some of the misses that were in there before we forget i want to do their fundamentals because i'm sure we'll also forget about the pulse uh the bucks before today's game because that's when our uh when liam pulled the stats 25 and 20 
22, 4-5 since the last 15 and 60. 19th in net rating, negative uh, 1.2. 12th in offense, 24th in defense. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, they played, a, I thought, a brilliant defensive game in this one. And the interesting thing, too, was, you know, they thrived in the initially in the kid era by forcing a ton of turnovers. And they forced against, you know, a team like the Bulls, which does not have a ton of guys who can dribble. Uh, but they forced a ton of turnovers in the first half just by simply playing conservatively and forcing the Bulls to make tough one-on-one plays that they weren't capable of against good defenders and I thought that when they did switch their rotations were pretty well on point and very impressive work from and you know the Bulls had actually been relatively hot offensively coming in although again the lack of Chris Dunn helped them to some degree because the Bulls didn't have anyone who could penetrate let's turn to the Bulls now though what is their where are they at in terms of their fundamentals before Sunday's game they were 18 and 31 four and five same as Milwaukee in the last 15 and 60 since last 1560 26th in net rating negative 4.7 27th in offense 23rd in defense and they had a three percent chance of making the playoffs where i wanted to start is with zach levine i thought he looked absolutely awful especially in the first half uh, when he did not shoot it well i believe he was 0 for 5 in the first half and each one of the jumpers that he took was one of them was late clock but each of the jumpers he took was preceded by just holding the ball for two seconds and not doing anything and that's not what fred hoiberg wants he wants quick decisions he wants you to move the ball even if that quick decision is a shot uh, i don't think he has as much of a problem with that and then uh, he had one drive uh, that was pretty wild uh, as well levine is shooting 40 percent on threes since his return but only 27 percent uh, on twos uh, beyond 15 feet uh, and just has not looked that comfortable i mean i think much like isaiah thomas his first couple games back like he felt pretty good and then it really has not been too great and then defensively he still has a number of problems he lost middleton yeah that on, was on a couple of back doors. i noticed it actually more defensively yeah. than offensively because he just right. and and some of that is just getting back into the reps and everything like that and you're playing on a new team and, and yeah. everything but but he looked he looked off defensively to me other than those two held ball the really long holds on i think those were threes that was where i noticed it. it's like oh yeah i mean and, and so that shouldn't be the sign of like oh you know remember how bad zach levine was on defense early in his minnesota tenure like oh that's who he is now no i wouldn't say that but it is a, a signpost just for okay in this stage of his recovery that is a weak point well, and it's been a weak point uh, at every stage, <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. whether he's recovering or, or not previously in his career. Well, and you know, he doesn't have a lot of physicality. He's a skinny guy, you know, so his ability to switch is very limited. They tried him a little bit at point guard when Dunn was out in that New Orleans game, but it really was not particularly comfortable there, it seemed like. I mean, he can dribble, but that's about it as far as his point guard skills. So he's got a long way to go. I think they're at the point right now where working him back in is probably hurting them but i don't think anyone really cares about that right now the other guy who really stood out to me at least in the first half uh is just david nawaba man that guy is just he cannot shoot a lick right now but he actually has more ball skills than people realize like he can attack a closeout off the dribble if you give him a head of steam and, and finish it or make a pass but just defensively i mean he's like six five the guy like blocked shots like he blocked Giannis from behind on a, a help play after they lobbed it into him that was pretty awesome he just plays with so much effort and so much force 
and with the shooting that the bulls can provide at the big positions i think that he really is by far their best option at the three just to provide them with someone who can defend i don't know how well he works in the base lineup with robin lopez in there as well but if they're playing with portis or Markinen or miritich at center as they do a reasonable amount of the time i think nuaba can be an excellent option if they're trying to win games he's someone who should play a lot but considering that they're not really trying to win games and considering that nuaba can be a restricted free agent after this year and they've also got denzel valentine who i'm sure they want to like get more of a look at maybe playing nuaba isn't the best idea for like what the actual goals of the franchise is at this just point. play him but tell him to shoot every single time he has the ball and then then you can depress his value a little <laughs> bit more but i want to talk a little bit about larry Markkinen. i every time i watch him i see more that i that i genuinely really like from him his ability to shoot i i can see where that's gonna where that can go with him whether he's playing power forward or eventually at center i like the way he competes on defense there was one play in particular where i think it was an eric bledsoe drive where he just got out there got in position contested the shot then made sure that the bulls secured the defensive rebound which is of course important if you're playing the four and then worked his way down got into the corner just stayed in the right spot got his footwork right and then drilled a corner three and that sequence is the type of thing that you would love for a modern power forward to do and so even if he doesn't become that rim protector maybe he can be a second unit five but not a, a first unit five he's still so valuable to a good team once they get better talent around him last thing on them if you're watching a bulls game a play you can watch for is a horns play which is where basically they bring the ball up with the point guard there's a, a big station near either elbow and what they'll do is they'll have someone come the ball handler come off a robin lopez's screen and then immediately as once lopez sets that screen his man has to help a little bit on the ball handler and then lopez will go set another screen at the opposite elbow for Markinen to come to the top for a three-pointer they'll run that play probably more than just about anything else that i've seen them run and that could be very effective because the guy guarding lopez has to help and then no one can help on Markinen. and whoever's guarding Markinen is usually going to be a guy who's at least a four-man not used to getting through screens and there's no one there to switch and step out of it. and so they ran that a lot at the end of that game against new orleans and jerry and grant just drove into the lane and wasn't even looking for the play and would just turn it over uh but he was a little bit more under control when they ran it early on and they got marked in a three off that in the first quarter before we move on to detroit this is from blue apron if you don't know what blue apron is it's the best way that i have found to cook at home because they deliver you pre-portioned ingredients right to your door so there's no food waste the recipes are simple to follow they come on a really legible easy to read card and you can make meals that you never would have realized that you could make at home that's what my fiance and i do we usually actually do the four-person meals so we actually have some leftovers for the next day or you know sometimes i'll just eat as much as three people do because it's just that good if you wanted to make stuff like these blue apron meals yourself you'd have to go to the store you'd probably have to buy a bunch of ingredients that would either go bad because you had bought too much of them and think of like how much cilantro you have to buy at the store or dill or something like that whereas blue apron they just ship all that stuff to you they've got fantastic ingredients chef designed seasonal recipes every week this week they're featuring strip steaks with potatoes and spicy maple collard greens the way to get started with them and get $30 off your first order is to visit blueapron.com slash capspace that's slash capspace url easy to remember because we talk about it all the time on the program that's blueapron.com slash capspace just go to that link and check out their menu i think you'll find that there's a lot of really really good stuff from all over the world
world inspired by pretty much everywhere except antarctica at this point <laughs> we've eaten something from so once again blueapron.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us so let's get to detroit now danny so these stats are compiled before their their game against the Cavs, and the pistons are now 22 and 25 on the season one and eight since the last 15 and 60 just below even in net rating negative 0.6 20th in offense 13th in defense and 538 gives them a 35 percent chance of making the playoffs yeah and it didn't feel like reggie jackson was playing so incredibly well this season and yet the stats without him have been absolutely brutal although they have not done well in close games so maybe we can expect them to do a little bit better than they have before than they have up to this point without him I think that's fair. I mean, a negative 3.3 net rating certainly isn't great, but 3 and 11 as a record in that is is below what you would expect. And as you said, 1 and 7 in close games and really struggled offensively. That part of it is not necessarily surprising. I mean, when teams really buckle down defensively, have their best lineups out there, that these Pistons without Reggie would have trouble scoring. I think they're better. Yeah. And having watched a, a lot of those close finishes, like they're not getting good shots at the end of games. I mean, there there's certainly a, a big part of it that negative of 21.4 net rating in the clutch only an 88 offensive rating in the clutch and they really are not getting good just they don't have a way to get good shots when it really teams buckle down i mean they've had some losses like that one against the jazz they had i think a seven point lead in the last couple minutes of the game and just could not score down the end as the jazz took it to ot and, and then beat them and that was also a shame because drummond was absolutely fabulous in that one but they just they didn't have enough offensively to really keep it going and then once it got to overtime it, it got out of hand and the other part of this that's concerning is so yeah they've struggled without Reggie Jackson and you could say they shouldn't it shouldn't be as bad as it's been but still clearly below water and Jackson's still gonna be out for a while I mean so he hasn't been cleared yet the expectation is that he'll be cleared for basketball activity in two to three weeks but being cleared for basketball activity does not mean you're back that just really starts the next stage of the recovery and that could be two or more weeks from that point so at least a month from here possibly more than that and it would yeah and possibly more than that because they could just be out of it by that point exactly and and that's not only after the trade deadline that's after probably around or after the buyout deadline and the the pistons could just be in a different spot i mean the idea of it being you know really an eight team race now for the the last spot and certainly another team could suffer an injury and be similarly floundering that is a way that this could happen but that hasn't happened yet and each time each day that it doesn't happen and reggie jackson's still out makes it less likely that the pistons are going to be able to jump back and the crazy thing about the pistons too is they're actually fifth in the nba in three-point percentage at 38 percent and that has been on the wane you know tobias harris was shooting into the 40s earlier in the season now he's still at 41 percent, but he's dropped off significantly and then avery bradley quietly is having an extremely inefficient season he's now under 50 percent true shooting and the league average is 55 and his usage in this a, a contract year for him one of his big weaknesses has always been that he believes he's like this premium offensive player and so as his true shooting which has never i think been above the league average i mean he's had like one year above the league average um and that's always, that's really disappointing for a guy who's shot incredibly well on three pointers these last few years and that's something he deserves a ton of credit for is the way that he's made himself into a near 40 percent three-point shooter he still shoots it pretty well on three pointers he's at 39 percent this year and 
Luke Kennard is shooting really well too he's at, at 43.8 percent from downtown that's something they can take hard in Reggie Bullock is at 43 percent from downtown Tolliver is at 39 percent I mean they've got a lot of guys who are shooting the ball pretty well Stanley Johnson not among them we'll talk about him in a second uh and Ish Smith certainly not among them either but for Bradley his usage is at 25 percent and he's pretty good on spot ups he's pretty good on cuts and then he just takes a ton of terrible mid-rangers coming off of curls or gets into the lane he doesn't have the vision to make a pass on those plays he can't finish at the rim over any kind of a contest and just too many bad shots with that level of usage and then he has fallen back now after one of probably the most anomalous defensive rebounding seasons in NBA history last season he defensive rebounded 16.2 percent of opponent misses on what was a bad rebounding team in Boston this year 6.9 percent defensive rebound percentage year before that 7.3 percent defensive rebound percentage so clearly it was a massive emphasis for him last year and has not been emphasis this year and of course they have Drummond but they're not a, a great defensive rebounding team even with Drummond in there so Bradley it, it, it's widely assumed that he's gonna get like this awesome contract next year that he's a perfect player three and D but if he still insists on being so much of an offensive focal point with shots that he can't make he could take the ball out of the hands of, of your better players and then also like his defensive numbers in terms of RPM are, are once again not that good you know he makes it difficult for guys on ball but is not at all a, a good help defender so I think I would say that Avery Bradley to me might be the most overrated player in the NBA at this point by just the general public the offensive part is a is a real significant concern just because of how he fits in then on on a better team because Avery Bradley of course is his man-to-man defense is more valuable in the playoffs because those games have you know they have stakes and if he can shut down the best of the best which in certain circumstances he has is valuable but he also I mean this groin injury is a concern I mean it just keeps on he missed today with a sore hamstring in that same leg too yeah and so and he'll turn 28 early next season so we're getting real close to thinking every year beyond health you know beyond just incidental health stuff is going to be worse than the last year just in terms of overall impact and so this next contract could be really rough for him and I've been thinking about when I when when he's playing enough that I get to watch him about how I don't think he's a good fit for the Sixers offensively and he's a little bit older than what I think they're looking for and so I wonder the the order of how they're going to see these three and d guards is essential because they're going to have so much money to offer and I wonder where he is in their pecking order and then of course where he should be like because I think we'll talk about where it would be for us you know once we're closer to free agency yeah and his lack of size as a switch guy I mean he'll fight in the post to be sure but he's not a guy who really can switch that much and you know I mean I think if they replace JJ Redick with him I think that's actually a significant downgrade uh you know reddick obviously has trouble staying healthy but bradley has had his troubles there too of late but you know reddick to me is so much better of an offensive player than bradley because reddick doesn't take bad shots he's just incredibly efficient and they they need one guy who's just going to be a monster on the perimeter but this is not the sixers this is the pistons that we're talking about here i want to check in on stanley johnson a guy who's a favorite of mine in the draft really of course has been limited by just his utter inefficiency and but where i wanted to start with him even before 
before that was that you'll see a lot of times on broadcasts especially if you're watching the visiting broadcast people talk about how stanley johnson is so athletic and he's strong and he's got quick feet for how much he weighs which is over 240 pounds but he is not athletic he has three dunks on the year a 958 minutes only takes 16 percent of his shots to the room so he's not incredibly quick off the bounce and then he can get up you know probably average for an nba small forward off of one foot driving to the basket but then off of two feet he can't jump at all and his finishing at the rim has been okay but just doesn't really get there that much and certainly doesn't ever like get all the way to the rim off the drill if he puts it on the ground it's gonna almost always be for a pull-up long two unless he's just you know wide open off of a closeout to drive right to the rim uh so that's a problem and then for him offensively and then his shooting though i think is the main problem danny especially when you're trying to project out what he could be on a good team i mean with young guys they're obviously going to get better but points per point seven points per possession on spot ups 47 percent true shooting below 30 percent on threes despite taking i mean he doesn't take a lot of threes he just takes a higher proportion of his shots from three and those are all just big concerns because you think about then okay well even if he becomes the defensive player that we all hoped he would be that he could be this forward who because he's so strong that can slow down these guys well if you can actively not defend him in the half court on the other end that negates a lot of the advantage created now he does look a little bit better in terms of having sped up his release he looks more comfortable taking those shots i i believe that he will eventually in his career become a competent three-point shooter but again the older he gets the less likely that can seem to become and he's got well under a 10 per all the years of his career and then defensively i really like what he does in the post you know if you he can switch on to just about anyone and watching film of all of his post-up defense possessions this year the major theme that stuck out to me was guys will kind of turn into him guys who are pretty big guys who are used to being able to lower their shoulder and create space and they'll end up just bouncing off of him and then shooting a fade away where they're fading away a lot more than they thought they were going to be and missing the shot you'll see that from him but he's not and he's got pretty good hands defensively to just take the ball away if you put it in front of him and he's strong i've not been as impressed with his work in isolation and because either one of two things will happen with him either he backs off too far and then he's not the quickest at rising up off the ground and contest he's got like a decent wingspan like a seven foot wingspan is totally adequate for a guy at his position but he doesn't really get a hand up and he doesn't really get off the ground on his contest again that lack of a quick twitch two foot jump it hurts him on those plays so he doesn't get the greatest contest in isolation a lot and then if he tries to really press up on guys because i I watched these possessions in reverse order like most recent ones and then going back to you know the beginning of the year so i was like oh why isn't he pressing up more on those guys like that would be more what he should be doing and then i watched those from the beginning of the year where that seemed like more of his strategy and he was getting blown by on those and there's even a play where like boyan bogdanovich just put it on the deck right hand dribble got all the way to the rim on him that that's not exactly you know bogdanovich is a below average nba athlete trying to drive into a straight right hand drive it and johnson was unable to stay with him when he was pressuring up and and he could be kind of quick in short areas but if you can string him out and get him to really have to move his feet over a large distance he could be beaten so maybe he's not as good of a defender as i had hoped he would be i mean i think his versatility and ability to not just get back down in the post and play adequate defense on the perimeter is useful and and i think he's still like many young players a long way to go as a health defender but he's not doesn't quite have the quickness or the quick twitch to be a lockdown type of guy and that's of course what he has to be given what have been his offense limitations so far one more stat just because you pulled it and i 
feel like it would be a waste if we're talking about Stanley Johnson to not mention it. 28% effective field goal percentage on jumpers off the dribble. That is remarkable. Yeah, and he takes a reasonable amount of those. You know, that's probably, if he's seeing 16% of his shots at the rim and half from three, that's leaving 35% of his shots basically like off the dribble twos. And, you know, that's not an efficient shot for him. Let's uh, close things out with the good old Nets here. The Brooklyn Nets, 18 and 32, three and eight since the last 15 and 60, 25th in net rating, 26th in offense, 20th in defense. And we've talked about this before, but I just, I think it bears repeating because it's sort of incredible that they're taking the quote-unquote right shots. I mean, they're number two in three-point attempt frequency and 24th in the mid-range, so both of those are exactly what you're looking for. But they're 26th in effective field goal percentage because they can't make shots. So it's sort of like those elements of when Miami was having those troubles. There are certain similarities to where the, how those teams do things. But the difference is, I think, with Miami, their guys just had more capability to make those shots. It was Josh Richardson and Tyler Johnson missing shots. Whereas with the Nets, they just don't have the right guys yet. Yeah, I don't think so. Although, you know, guys like Alan Crabb were supposed to be. Sure. You know, Crabb was a 44% three-point shooter last year, but he's uh, well below 40% this year. And Joe Harris is a guy who can hit some shots. Levert is, has uh, an evolving jump shot, uh, shall we say. And Dinwiddie, you know, he's got to take a lot of tough threes off the dribble. I think if he could have a little bit better shot selection in an offense with some more threats, I'd like to see what he could do from a shooting potential standpoint. And then Rondé can't really shoot at all uh you know he's he's taking mostly mid-rangers which he'll hit uh and their centers are not really great options shooting the three ball either although even jared allen has, has hit a couple of corner threes he hit one in that okc game that they lost uh, on a nice russell westbrook drive right at the end uh although i was i was actually impressed with jared allen in that game i'll say because he was able to move his feet pretty well he didn't quite get there on that last westbrook layup but he caused some problems inside and then although he's not really that great of a leaper he's just his arms are so long like he can still like get up and dunk on people and as he gets stronger i think he'll be able to provide that even more he moves his feet pretty well and if he's able to make a corner three here and there i mean the one he made was late clock he hasn't taken a ton of those yet on the season he is shooting 60 percent on corner threes but that's obviously a very low sample but he has 51 dunks which is good to see especially since he's not playing a lot and he's he's been i think easily their best option at center in part because Jaleel Okafor who was acquired in that trade has a negative 23.9 net rating in 169 minutes at the time it was surprising that the in the in the Trevor Booker trade that the Nets picked up that Knicks 2019 second rounder and it's looking like that's going to be the best thing they got in that trade because Stauskas hasn't really done much since he's been there they do have theoretically his restricted rights though I think you'd worry about him picking up his qualifying offer if you made it and then with Okafor you know I, I mean maybe you somebody takes a flyer on him but the at least they, I guess they know that he's probably not going to be the answer for them. I mean, I want to give him more time, but but that is a concern. However, as you said, I think Jared Allen, you know, by and large, if they can come out of this season with one rotation center, I think that's broadly a success for them at that position. And then the other thing that's been interesting, especially because they've been closing games with it, is Rondé Hollis-Jefferson at center. Yeah, this lineup, uh, which it's mostly been at the end of games, they don't close a lot of games with it, but the, the more earlier in the year they would, especially when the other team didn't have a traditional center on the floor. It was just like the Nets have had like some pretty fun games and fun finishes and, and, and this lineup has been crazy so they played 228 possessions with that lineup you know it's a little over 100 minutes with Rondé at center 
despite having a six foot six center they get 32 percent of offensive rebounds that's in the 99th percentile they get to the foul line uh, at a 99th percentile rate and they can't hit a shot they're uh, one of the, you know towards bottom of the league type of levels for shots the opposition is in the 99th percentile for their own offensive rebounds the opposition gets to the foul line in the 99th percentile and the opposition can't hit shots either so <laughs> any game with ronde at center apparently ton of free throws ton of offensive rebounds no being a, nobody being able to make a shot that's uh, that's what happens at the end of these these games uh with ronde at center was one of those that super weird celtics game earlier this year i remember the end of that game just being bananas was, yeah. Yeah. and yeah and so and the other thing we should talk about with the nets is just how d'angelo russell he's been back for four games how do you think that he's looked in those four games slow although he's never looked that quick to begin with i mean they're clearly easing him back in no back-to-backs only 16.2 minutes per game so far but he's at 30 percent from the field only taken four shots at the rim during that period and he's four out of 15 on threes and on his long twos and floaters hasn't been making those either that's how you get to that 30 percent from the field but russell is going to be a very interesting case a very interesting case for an extension i mean it seemed like he was playing well early in the year but they were playing extremely poorly with him on the floor that's why part of why dinwiddie his rpm is so good and i'll explain the other reason why in a second as well uh, and why he's you know the most overrated player we've seen in quite some time by rpm he's like you know 15th in the league in rpm um but his defense remains a major problem only 29 percent from three on the year he's only played 16 games but he's a guy who really for his own personal career as well needs to show something to be efficient not be just a complete sieve on defense which is oftentimes the harder part for guys coming back from injury and put himself in position to get a decent extension from this nets team we'll see whether that works out or not he was supposed to be a great asset he's had a lot of knee troubles so far that is a concern so this is a very big last two and a half months or so of the season here for d'angelo russell's career um the other thing that's been interesting is that when russell went down they started playing isaiah whitehead a little bit at the one then they took him out of the rotation almost immediately he's has not shown signs of being a solid nba player or even necessarily an nba player so far and then they go with karis lavert as their backup point guard and those units have gotten killed as well yeah that might even be putting it kindly i mean a negative almost a negative 12 net rating turnover rate about 17 percent and lavert you know he has potential i think i think of him more as a secondary creator than a primary yeah, guy yeah. and he's, i think he's I th- clearly overstretched in that yeah so th- there's a way of making it work i also think he's better defending personally defending twos than one so you also have him when he's playing the one in that spot where yeah. guys have a quick disadvantage yeah. on him but as you said that leads to when you have d'angelo russell who's struggled the team has struggled when he's been on the floor this year lynn hasn't played and karis Levert they've gotten killed when he's been on the floor well hey look there's one guy who they've been playing well when he's been on the floor and so i don't know exactly how the black box works but it makes sense that spencer dinwiddie is going to be an rpm monster in that case yeah when, when your backups i mean it's supposed to adjust for it a little bit but generally we see that when your backups are awful it's going to cause you to be overrated so maybe it's not possible to do this adjustment but certainly that's something that can cause that number to be wrong all right so let's get started liam with the wizards a, a team that we assigned to you because they kind of been stagnating a little bit of late right so uh washington wizards just some some of their stats up uh lately uh four and five since our last 15 and 60 they're 27 and 22 overall ninth in net rating 10th in offensive rating and 14th in defensive rating and i think the defense has been the main thing that's been slipping lately uh they've been actually getting really lucky defensively uh on the year with the opponent three-point percentage is the best in the league so teams are missing way more shots than they normally would against an average opponent so if that uh regresses back to the mean 
team that's going to be a problem for their defense. And I think they're the sixth worst defensive team in the league over the last 10 games, and they're really not rebounding well over that stretch, and that's become a problem. They're, they're 25th in the league in giving up putback points, and some of those lineups, I think people like the idea of uh, Marquise Morris at center, and they definitely get a lot of positive things from that, but that what they are giving up is uh, some fight on the glass, and that definitely happened in the couple games I watched. So they definitely have some issues there. Um, but before I get too deep into that, I, I think we need to address the John Wall situation right now, where he has a sore knee. Uh, what I saw, they're planning to rest him a couple days. Uh, just uh, the Atlanta game, he sat out, and that might be the only one, but I guess they're going to take it uh, you know, step by step. But that's going to be a big issue for the team going forward. And I guess I, you guys probably covered a bunch of this in the trade deadline, but does that Wall injury change anything about how this team should approach the trade deadline or you know what they should look to acquire, you know, be less aggressive or more aggressive? From my perspective, I think that it, it certainly gives them a little bit more downside risk, but at the same point, I think their needs are still structurally the same. They're trying to, if possible, get under the luxury tax for this year because of the long-term implications. I don't think that has really changed at all by this. And they still need help on the perimeter. I mean, really, where I guess this would be an issue is if you think it goes long enough or persists long enough that it threatens their chances of making the playoffs. But beyond that, I don't think it changes their priorities too much right now, but they do have another week worth of data to get on this before they really have to get down to negotiations. Well, and with the Hornets kind of floundering, with the Pistons floundering, there's a pretty clear top eight emerging here. And while the Wizards still have some modicum of hope to get a top four seed which would be nice for them they aren't going to go anywhere unless john wall is healthy and bradley beal as well beal has not been injury prone over the last couple of years but the amount of minutes that these guys have been playing is totally unsustainable I mean, beal has had a few games where yeah he was hot in the first half so scott brooks would like didn't want to take him out but he ended up playing 40 minutes in all these games and just yeah you know i i know they're fighting for playoff seeding and all that but just this is a team that's always played better it seems like in the playoffs than in the regular season in part because they get to play their bench a little bit less but if john wall is not john wall and he really has not been i think throughout this whole season and this is it's not like they don't have him around for a while right his designated player max extension doesn't kick in until after next year uh and you know that's going to be be making 40 million a year at that point so you damn well better keep this guy healthy it's not all about this year with this team right and i'd agree and i think that what that injury does if well i don't know if it's you know an injury but if wall does miss some time the minutes that they have with beal on the floor without wall they're actually holding up okay they're about you know even net rating uh they're scoring very well and they're struggling to defend but it's those minutes now you can't really stagger and have one of wall or beal on the court at all times so now you're you know playing a lot of lineups with tim frazier and thomas sadaransky on the floor and sadaransky actually did a nice job filling in for wall against the hawks yeah i think he does a lot of good things defensively for him and just uh knowing like simple passes like good post entry passes uh quick swings he's actually like a very cerebral player but obviously he has his score limitations so i think where they're really going to struggle is on some of those second units and just touching on like the, the their starting lineup that has been so good over the last couple of years i want to get your thoughts on what you guys have seen from markeith morris so far this season because in the games that i saw i mean i thought he was really struggling defensively it's tough to tell how much of it is you know effort based or you know if he has really lost a step but in the games i saw he was pretty lackadaisical like you know someone would get a flex cut and go to the opposite three-point corner and he'd kind of like saunter after them and whenever there was like a closeout he'd just like slow 
fully trot out. And I mean, that those are, you know, touch on many of the issues that they've had defensively as a team. But I'm, I'm wondering how much you guys think Markeith Morris's uh, defense has declined. Is that just effort based or is it physically based? Or may, maybe you guys haven't thought of him as a good defender. And I don't think he's a, I don't think he was like a great defender, but I think he's dropped off and gotten worse than he was. Yeah, he was a uh, foul prone. Obviously, you would get into foul trouble every game last year in the playoffs, for example. But a guy who had the physical tools, and I think what I've noticed most from him is just has not had the force or athleticism. I'm not sure that he's just in the same type of shape. You remember, he had that hernia surgery, and then remember, he also had that trial in Phoenix from that assault charge with his brother a couple of years ago as well this offseason. And with all that, I'm just not sure that he's gotten back to the type of shape. I mean, there's been a couple times where they've thrown him alley-oops that he used to crush where he just wasn't able to go get it uh in addition to as you said has not appeared to be that engaged and so with that being the case i do think that their best lineups really have involved kelly Oubre in his place and the numbers certainly reflect that so would you do you advocate for him playing any like minutes at center um over i don't know mercy and gortat or do you think their best lineup is with gortat and then Oubre and porter at the three and the four yeah it just depends who the opponent is i think because morris really offers them the only thing that's switchable i mean we you saw what for example kelly olenic who isn't even you know that great of a of a threat but he can shoot the ball he killed them in that game seven and he's going against Bohemia, he's going against gortat those players are not really capable of guarding out in the perimeter they're not really capable of switching so i do think that that morris at center lineup has a place especially against other teams that are going small as well so you hope you're not going to get killed on the glass as badly and they need to get more rebounding from their guards as well in those sets john wall in particular can be a very good defensive rebounder when he puts his mind to it but yeah i think it's just clear to me i think the biggest thing you can point to is that morris has not been right physically since returning from that hernia surgery and and offensively i think he's he's picked his game up in some ways i mean like you said he hasn't looked the same physically i think he's at a career low in percentage of his shots at the rim but what he is doing is on the outside he's become a great stretch big as far and he was always you know a pretty decent jump shooter but now this year he's shooting 40 percent from three and 40 four percent from the mid-range so he's gotten really lethal on those pick and pops and um whether it's the mid-range or the three-point line and that really opens up a lot of space for the rest of the team and they actually get a lot of that on the second unit too with mike scott uh who's having a ridiculous year uh 65 true shooting percentage and he's um i have a shot chart here from nba.com and on the season he's literally green in like every area so he's been tremendous too they actually have a lot of um spacing on their offense with some of their big lineups if they choose to do that it's just a question of you know how much they're giving back on the defensive end yeah scott always known as kind of a spacey defender and his fortunes have really waxed and waned where he was really effective in that 2015 season for the hawks on their second unit and then got into that legal trouble in atlanta and never really had that type of season since but a guy who can heat up but really his value is entirely dependent on how he's shooting the ball and that's been great this year but he has got some drill green like tendencies on the defensive end Uh, absolutely i was just yeah i was gonna get into that next he's uh he's pretty atrocious defensively just not only like the physical part of it just like speed and length and all that but just there were a couple instances where he blew up you know pick and roll coverages he thought it was ice when it was dropped or something like that or there was some type of miscommunication with his teammate and most of the time i thought it was on him and just like he's he's a total non-factor at the rim when he's in drop dennis Schroeder was uh abusing him on some of the pick and rolls and other teams go after him so while he's been like one of the best bench scorers in the league i'd say he's you know not a guy that you can really trust on in the playoffs when he's given back so much although he has had some big games in the playoffs for atlanta in the past so that'll be an interesting guy to keep an eye on and another guy i wanted to talk about that's off the bench uh thomas sat 
Sadoransky, I, I really like him as a player. Just somebody that's, he, he's not the quickest on-ball defender, and he'll get beat occasionally off the dribble, but he is great at getting around screens, just help defense, uh, sprinting back in rotations when he's on pick and roll. He, he really creates havoc in a lot of those passing lanes. And I think offensively, he's, you know, not a dynamic scorer, not a, you know, shooting threat. Teams are sagging way off of him, but he also does make some really incisive passes that can really juice the offense a little bit. And, and I guess I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, what you see his role like, um, what you see his role becoming in the postseason and, you know, what, you know, what his season's been like up until this point. Yeah, Sederensky to me is a guy who's probably a more effective regular season player than a postseason player because a lot of the postseason is about minimizing weaknesses. And Sederensky, if you're not disciplined about, okay, we're just going to not guard this guy. He's looked a little bit more aggressive shooting the three ball this year, but still not a guy that you're counting on in the playoff crucible to hit shots. So if he's not going to be guarded, how much is that going to shut you down? Now, of course, if the other option is Tim Frazier, Frazier is probably even worse of a shooter from downtown than Sadoransky is and doesn't have the size or passing ability necessarily that Sadoransky does. So I think Sadoransky is a guy who's always going to look better in the advanced stats than in the box score because of some of the smart plays that he can make, but still a guy who's not really quite what you need as a playoff caliber rotation guy, even if he's someone who can help you. And maybe, you know, he'll start to make some shots. That's not impossible. We've seen guys improve at that. But if he's not going to do that, it's it's going to be difficult for him to really be effective in the playoffs, which is what this Wizards team is aiming for. But in the regular season, yeah, I think he's could be a quality player. Right. And just a couple more small notes I want to say on um, the team offense. I, this team got a lot of credit last year for uh, reducing some of the mid-range shots that they were taking, you know, taking more threes, taking more shots at the rim. And this year they're back to fifth in frequency of their shots from the mid-range, and they're 27th in the league at percentage of their shots taken at the rim. So they've really fallen off in that area, and for a team that I wouldn't necessarily expect that to be the case because they have so much spacing, they should be able to, you know, manufacture some points in the paint, but that hasn't been the case. And they've also been, uh, they continue to be tra- um, fantastic off um, in transition, especially off steals. They're the best team in score efficiency off steals and sixth and points added in transition overall so maybe if they can play some of those uh lineups with Ubre and with porter at the three and the four that that's going to be able to generate more steals for them and that that's something they are great at is that getting in those passing lanes and deflections and that type of thing so if they can play more of those lineups in the postseason i think that might be a way to um enhance one of their strengths in, in what is transition scoring yeah it's really uh, for them a lot of it is uh, those weaknesses that you just talked about and strengths are john wall's strengths and weaknesses right John Wall is amazing in transition he, he gets steals he'll push it down your throat he'll find three-point shooters in transition but if you're switching if you're in the half court if you're getting bogged down you know John Wall's solution a lot of times is he's going to go to a mid-range jump shot going to his right from the right elbow you know and Beal same thing you know he relies a lot on the mid-ranger especially in the half court and Porter same thing he'll come off a screen for a two but not necessarily a three so there a lot of the plays that they run are going to naturally result in mid-rangers in the half court it's when they really get out in their transition game that they become so difficult to stop all right i think we are out of time here for now we'll do be back with the rest of the 15 and 60 tomorrow don't forget about our sponsor blue apron blue apron.com slash cap space is that url to get 30 dollars off your first week of meals with them and uh that will do it for today talk to y'all next time Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And 
producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.